Is there a future where The Sopranos will one day be lost by newer generations? Perhaps in the oversaturation of streaming services and critically acclaimed TV like Tears and Rain. Welcome to Josh Hasn't Seen The Sopranos. I'm Jared Backens and I'm joined by my two millennial co-hosts, Drew Madden and Josh Fink, as we go through each episode to uncover if The Sopranos should still be considered the best. It's good to be in something from the ground floor. Even though some consider 2020 the golden age of TV, I get the feeling we came in too late for that. We came in at the end. The best is over. Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. Here we go. Okay, episode two, 46 long of The Sopranos on our podcast. Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. Josh, how's your how's your plus one doing so far? Is she still watching the show? She's hung in there. She's uh, She watched episode two. She enjoyed it, but I did catch her on her phone a little no. bit more than, than the other time. So I think I don't know how much longer she's going to be in there with me, but, um, she, overall, she said she enjoyed it. Uh, just not her cup of tea with the, uh, the amount of violence and stuff. And this episode was pretty tame. So <laughs> I imagine moving forward, um, it might dissuade her a little bit more, but overall she's been enjoying it. It is. I think she should give it, give it some time. I know she loves, she loves Mad Men and Mad Men. I mean, Mad Men wouldn't exist without the Sopranos. Matthew Weiner from Mad Men came from, the Sopranos writing room. Um, I, I I think she should she should stick into it. There's a funny dynamic too between me and my girlfriend with the the phone too. If I'm like really serious about a movie or show, she knows not to like play on her phone. She's it's pretty respect uh, respectful of her um, because I'm pretty. I mean I'm I'm unreasonable about it probably. But if it's something neither of us like really care about, she's like, oh, could I play on my phone in this? I'm like, yeah, of course. Well, that's fine. I was going to say one thing I catch myself doing is when I'm watching something I really like or something I think is funny, you know, like a comedy or a comedy special, I'll catch myself like after something happens that I think is funny, I'll look at, I'll look at her and be like, Oh, did you laugh? Like, are you enjoying this? It's (laughs) like, this is what I enjoy. Like, why are you not enjoying it as much? I don't know. It's kind of, I've caught myself doing that recently, especially during this whole quarantine thing when we're (laughs) watching everything together. It's like, are you enjoying this? Yeah. It's more exciting for me to, see someone else excited about it which is why i'm just like so pumped to watch the sopranos with you guys even though we're not in the same room drew's your plus one still hanging in yeah she really likes it she did fall asleep for 10 (laughs) maybe 15 minutes but that is like a very normal normal thing Uh, just a a nap in the middle of a potentially the greatest television program ever yeah, you know, actually, I think that I would I would fall asleep watching The Wire, which is like my favorite TV show. And I'm like, <laughs> how am I falling asleep? Or like, you know, like the end of uh, the first season of True Detective. I'm like, it almost seems like the more I want to stay awake for stuff, then I then I can't. <laughs> so, it's like a kid on Christmas or something. Yeah, it's kind of a weird conundrum. I still want to every episode I want to peel back to see, you know, is this still makes does the soprano still make sense for contemporary audiences or do we see it do we see it getting lost in in just the oversaturation of critically acclaimed tv out there so always always keeping that top of mind um i want to go into some follow up this is where typically when all of our millions of fans are writing to us they might have questions and things like that of course we didn't air the first episode yet so i'm going to estimate we we might get about 90,000 listeners on the first episode or so. Um, but a couple areas in the last podcast I want to bring up. I claim that Marlon Brando should have won f- all five Oscars he was nominated for in the 50s. 
I went through those Oscars and I'm only one he was robbed of completely, I think. And that was for a streetcar named Desire. So I think at least two of those Oscars should have been his. The one he actually won, a streetcar named Desire. The other three are up in the air. I could I could have seen them split the other way. So uh, that's my final say. He should have gotten two in the 50s, three total in his career. The other claim I made was LeBron James's MVPs. So I said he should have won like the last seven or so. I'm changing my I'm changing my thoughts to I think he should have maybe won in 2017 instead of Russell Westbrook and 2018 instead of James Harden. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Giannis won last year. Yeah, Giannis won 2019. 2018 was James Harden. 2017 was Russell Westbrook. 16 and 15 were the back-to-back Curry years. 14 was KD. 13 and 12 were LeBron. 2011 was Derrick Rose. Yeah, I think he definitely takes the Westbrook year. And then uh, it's arguable for the Harden year. But I think the other ones are pretty, pretty solid. I mean, Curry was like changing the game. And even though I think LeBron's probably the better player. Um, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a Westbrook fan. <laughs> if you win the MVP, you have to win more than one game in the playoffs. So <laughs> is that how great. many is that how many games he won that year? He just won. Yeah, the, I think I think the they lost half. to the I think they lost to the it's Jazz. Like, a, like in Trailblazers. Like, oh, four, the Jazz. <laughs> I don't know. I just remember someone described it. He's like the most, you know, just like the most emotion, the most like I don't know. Just not not the best uh best self awareness in my opinion. But he did average a triple double though. And that's, I think, it's just like, how do you, like, I didn't know anyone could even do that. We have to give it to him. I mean, just banging, banging three-point shots off the front <laughs> rim and running up and grabbing them, I guess. <laughs> uh, so LeBron should have, so I'm saying he probably should have six. Any of those years, maybe. I wouldn't have been surprised if LeBron, other, I wouldn't have been surprised if LeBron won. So I think he should have had six. Um, another one I want to bring up too is, I'm keeping this top of mind. One of our one of our many female fans, which happens to be my girlfriend, uh, brought this up to me or, or reminded me too. Is oftentimes TV is very unfair to female characters and like minorities. I think the three of us, obviously, I mean, we're three white dudes, so we're going to see the world in. We're probably going to be more sympathetic, just subconsciously, to to Tony and these guys too. But she brought up like. At this point in the show, we don't, I mean, we know Tony's bad. We don't quite know how much of a victim everyone else is, like the Carmela, like his children, his mother, and everyone else kind of in his web of lies. And I think it's it's important that we're conscious of that too. And we don't fall into our own pitfall of giving Tony a better break. Oh, he of course he cheats on his his wife. You know, that's that goes with the territory. I think it's I, I thought that was just just really smart, just like making sure that, that we stay aware of that and all these people of, of lives he ruins throughout the throughout the show. I think for me, it's just too early to, to speculate on anything uh, yeah. since it's only the second episode. But yeah, definitely something <laughs> to keep in the back of your mind. There's definitely different standards for Tony Soprano or something. And you're just like, yeah, when we're talking about it, it's like, oh, of course, you know course is this this mob boss is gonna you know so so your reaction to to certain things is just a little bit not not really fairly in the same category yeah and i think just like in the first episode too carmela obviously has an interesting relationship with the priest but that's not really equitable to uh tony's you know extramarital affair like those aren't even on the same playing field too but i think carmela's relationship's more novel for tv so that's 
more interesting. We'll probably talk about that more too, but they're not really, I mean, Tony's is the, the greater evil, I think for sure. So I want to start with the, the core of the episode this time. We talked about it at the end last time, but I want to get our first impressions of it. And the core to, to remind us, those are the few words of what that episode, what the episode is actually about and where we got that from was Francis Ford Coppola when he was filming The Godfather wrote about the core of each scene. He wanted to know exactly what that scene was about among the other criteria he put together. Um, I want to read a segment from a book he wrote. It's or it's The Godfather Notebook. So it's what he used to shoot The Godfather. Um, but he describes what that core is in the scene too. So this is what he says. The core was initially inspired by a wonderful chapter in Toby Cole's book, Directors on Directing, which tells how Elliot Kazan prepared his own thinking about a streetcar named Desire. Kazan believed that every scene in a play comes down to a core idea, which could be put into a word or two. Every scene should have a core that is at the root of that scene. And the reason that scene is in the piece is only validated if you express that core, if you hit its essence and why the scene is there. It was appealing to me that if you nailed the clarity of that core in each scene, the audience would get that and that would form the spin of the experience for them. I endeavored to distill the essence of each scene into a sentence, expressing in a few words that the point of what the point of the scene was. It was very important in the course of looking over the novel, always to say clearly what the core of every scene was. So I want us to look at Sopranos like that novel too. And, and what, what's going to be that core of each episode? I, I think the core of this episode kind of, they touched on it in the first one as well is basically the mob family and t- headed by Tony Soprano trying to, come into come to terms with the 21st century like where's their business going who's gonna succeed uh succession you know to the to the dawn uh things like that you know more of like a it's a transitional period um and it, i think that's the focus of not only in tony's life personally uh, but also in his business life his family life uh it just seems like it's going uh, just a transition period, I guess, is if I had to put it into two words, you know, for the whole show is about transition. Transition. I love it. So that's it. And the mob family comes to terms with 21st century is what I got out of it. And then transition to mm-hmm. summarize it more. Um, that's awesome. That's it's great to see your first impression of it too. In these first two episodes. I was going to say reluctant mom moves into old folks. home. you know, that's like, um, <laughs> I think Josh is, is a little more meta than, than that. But, um, as far as power struggle between Tony and his mom and his like internal family, um, they're all, I mean, they're also Mm -hmm. transitioning. Um, mine was pretty similar. So I just, uh, I jotted this down right before we started recording dealing with an aging relative. One Oh one is a specific episode, (laughs) you know, for, for better or worse, he, he is trying to figure that out among the other things that are going on in his life. So I love those. What were your initial thoughts of the episode, Josh? Coming from watching the pilot and doing a deep dive, uh, what I really liked about the episode is it kind of seemed like we settled down onto more of a singular path plot-wise and just focusing on Tony Soprano and then the whole situation with Junior. Uh, I thought it was actually a lot more enjoyable, uh, maybe because it was easier to follow for my simple brain. Uh, but, but I just, uh, I was like, okay, now, now this is finding its rhythm. Um, we're, we still bring back similar characters. We got the therapist, you know, they didn't really change out too many people. Um, 
from the pilot. I know that does happen from time to time, but had some continuity there. And then I don't know, I just, I, I really enjoyed it from the beginning when they're kind of living the mob life and they're watching the, uh, I don't think it's a 60 minutes, but remind me of a 60 minutes interview with, with, uh, with a former mob boss saying, ah, the mob's done. And, and they're just like, ah, fuck you. Like we're still over here counting money, getting it done. So I don't know. I, I thought it was really enjoyable and easier to watch than the first one. It's, it's a more manageable pace for sure. So it's, it has four main storylines. You probably don't notice when you're watching it too, but that's going to be what we're going to be seeing going forward, or it's really two main ones. And then a third and fourth kind of telling, telling off at the end. But that's what I wrote down too, is just the pacing was a lot more manageable with it. Um, and it makes it easy. It makes us, we're able to spend more time with the other characters, you know, like the big pussy Polly and, and all these other guys, which are always a great treat. Yeah. Just the character developments is, is great. Um, I really, you know, I really like any time that Tony's mom is on, <laughs> yeah, dude, on, she- uh, on the screen. She's just such a, such a funny character. Uh, the, the relationship between different, you know, Chris, Chris's character is kind of portrayed as this like fuck up new, you know, the younger generation. And then this, and it's like, okay, now he's just going to clubs, hanging out with the friend that does meth. And yeah, the, the interactions between big puss and is it Polly that go looking for? Yeah. Those are, those are really good. Yeah. That was kind of like my favorite part when they're, they're going from coffee shop to coffee shop and, (laughs) just talking about like cultural appropriation. It's like, (laughs) it's so different because it's, that's two old white people complaining about it. And now it's like, you know, we, the, the, it's 20 years later, but we're still facing with the same problems, but it's just, it's totally different. But they're just like, why did we think of this coffee shit? You know, we could have been billionaires. Yeah. I love that. I, I thought still that the tone is a little weird. I was like some of this, it stays funny the whole time, which I, love about it too but some of it did seem kind of 90s little 90s dorky at times and scenes and i i still don't think it's it's hit its full stride yet but um i thought i mean it's tough to beat it's a great episode josh you brought up the, the first scene too so this is the only scene that's before the credits in the whole soprano series and it doesn't really it's weird it doesn't really fit into the episode i mean it it sets a context for the world they're living in but it's not any of the main stories aren't really going along with this scene we we see the inner circle so it's tony silvio christopher polly and big pussy silvio wasn't really part of the crew in the pilot he just stayed at the bottom bang he was kind of outside but now in the episode two he's written inside into the crew um and josh you said it that that theme of the old ways are gone which people are worried about in really every industry, right? Yeah, totally. And it's, you know, you have to make a change or you won't live forever. Uh, I think it's corporations only last in the, uh, in fortune 500 for 40 years. And there's like a reason for that. Cause it's so hard to adapt when you get so big. And now they're this mob, you can just see it. I've been kind of following it through a lens of, of kind of like the corporate culture. Yeah. They've been in waste management and they kind of got into drug dealing, which seemed like a bad idea as exposed in this episode with the whole mandatory minimums, which really made people not want to do their time. And then, so now you see Tony kind of wheels turning in the pilot, trying to get into the healthcare business and uh, um, also just trying to figure it out and stay away from drugs. He sees that as a a downfall too. Yeah. And, and a lot, a lot is covered in this, in this kind of first scene. And I, 
I think it was put there because they were the Sopranos creators were afraid to be too similar to Goodfellas or The Godfather. They wanted to hang a lantern on that. They wanted to show like we know we're similar to these things, but we're different than that too. Um, have you guys heard the term hang hang a lantern on it before in, in movies or TV? I haven't, no. No, me neither. So it means like something that's that might be obvious to the audience or frustrating for the audience. The TV wants to show awareness of that so that the audience doesn't continue being frustrated about it. So what you might see is in a, uh, let me think of an example. So in a movie, like a chance encounter might happen between two people that will send the story in another direction. And as a viewer, you might be like, well, that's really frustrating. Like, why did they let that happen? And to get ahead of that, the movie will will nudge into that awareness of it. They'll be like, yeah, that was a really crazy chance encounter. We know it was we know it was obscure or something like that. So that's what I, I, I thought of this first scene is they were trying to hang a lantern. Like, like we know this is similar to maybe Goodfellas and things like that. Um, a couple other things. Silvio, which you guys know how I feel about this. Silvio quotes The Godfather Part 3, like right at the beginning. Like, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. And I was just like, all right, this is too many Godfather references. He says that. Well, does he say it like three times? Yeah, he does. <laughs> Exactly. And I, I like the last one, uh, but he says it twice in this first scene, which just like, oh, I get it. I get it. You guys aren't the Godfather. Big Pussy talks about cloning in this scene briefly. And Tony makes like an interesting comment. Only God can make life, which I'm kind of throwing like how religious is Tony? Like how obviously Catholicism is big for all these guys too. But I think that was important to bring that up. Pop culture is huge. They talk about Princess Diana who just passed away. I think two years before this episode aired and i don't know if you got as you guys were watching it too the show is just it seems like every line is a pop culture reference and i i found myself just trying i couldn't keep up with with them all the one i noticed most i guess is when chris is talking about like the new millennium and uh when they're in the club scene um yeah i don't know i think i think i a lot of them probably went over my head uh, the one i noticed was when uh big puss is uh they're trying to find the car, the stolen car. And he's like, yeah, what am I fucking Rockford or something like that? Like the Rockford yeah. files. <laughs> that's a, that's a good one because David Chase, the creator of the Soprano used to work on the Rockford files. So that was just like a nudge <laughs> to himself. So also in this first scene, just cause a lot happens here. I want to bring this up. There's a, there's a great moment when Christopher says to Polly that like you've never been to Paris, Polly. And Polly says, I went over for a blow job. Your mom was working the bonbon concession at the Eiffel tower. The real funny part in this is when he turns to Silvio and just repeats the same joke again. And we're just, he's just like, Sil, you hear what I told him? It's like, you get to know so much about Polly because he like just obviously can't shut up and repeats himself, which that actor is in Goodfellas also. So it's just like pretty much the same universe. All these Italian American actors live in, it seems like at this point. Uh, anything to add just on that first scene, just because so much is covered there. They like the first thing I noticed was uh, like I was looking for that red color again in different scenes. And, uh, you know, it's like they open the scene and like the first shot, there's like some other red. They have like those neon lights. The first shot shows them at the table. The TV's playing in the background. And then there's just like this tiny little I, you can't even tell what it is, but there's like a tiny piece of red like next to the two black and white photographs of the old boxers i don't know i couldn't i don't know anything about boxing but i think it just like 
just as like subtleties are so good in the sopranos it's it, and it's totally shedding light it's like it's nothing that you're gonna like consciously notice but that color is gonna did you guys notice those photographs no not at all interesting yeah, I, I didn't either um it, but i i was just like oh this is like you know just it caught my eye and then i was like oh this is the kind of people that tony uh idolizes the the strong you know there's nothing like strong mm-hmm. the strong silent type of like that old yeah boxer. like like gary cooper uh, yeah so and then like chris's curling like what was like yeah. six pounds or something you know and it's just, that, like, felt, that felt very 90s yeah. do people still do that <laughs> I, yeah i guess it's just while smoking a cigarette yeah yeah <laughs> just counting some cash curling five pounds and ripping a cig you know it's like and then yeah Polly just with the with the dirty dad joke you're like god these characters but it's it's in uh it's in a very very enjoy i i really enjoy that about the sopranos yeah they, they find a way to do it smart like there's no way that joke can live in most tv shows like people would think it's garbage right they're just like i think what makes it funny is he just has he repeats it to the guy next to him and he is kind of he's getting older you know he's becoming maybe not senile but like a little he's older and you're just like all right Polly, we get it you you made a joke <laughs> but i love the color thing i hope you can like just keep picking up on the imagery stuff because i have no i have no eyes for that sort of thing yeah i'll keep trying trying to notice if i can and then we go into the intro and i gotta say just love the intro every time more and more each time i see it um and then first first scene after the intro, Chris and Brendan hijack a truck, which similar to Goodfellas, that's really how they made their money in Goodfellas. And the tone's a bit weird here. I, I enjoyed the scene, but the guy is it's 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 made out to be a little bit funny too. You know, the guy needs to be beat up too. He's like, I need to be scathed. They punch him, beat him up, and they're, oh, is he scathed? All right, he's scathed, and they leave. So it's funny, but yeah, I was I it's still a little confusing to me on that on the tone. Also, funny, funny shout out to DVD players like they're robbing a truck to get DVD players. I think I remember in college when I had somehow through like moving to apartments, I had two or three DVD players. I I had too many of them and I just couldn't get rid of them. And now we go back to a time 20 years ago when, you know, people rob trucks and, you know, create these huge crimes just to get DVD players. You wonder what that thing is now that we just you know, envy that's not going to exist in the future. Well, did you guys ever have a laser disc? Cause that's what they were referring it to. It's like, Oh, they just got better clarity than a laser disc. <sighs> was that like the competing brand that like DVD won over the laser disc? Well, no, it was like VHS, right? Beat out Beta- right. Betamax in the eighties. And then in the early nineties, there's just, I never had one. My uncle had one and it was a, a laser disc and the discs were like the size of records. They're huge. And it was very, similar, <laughs> very similar to a, dvd player like you would put it in but the disc couldn't hold that much so you'd have like four discs per a movie but supposedly the quality was better than a vhs and i i mean i i think i watched How? One, one movie on it but yeah that, i always and i still do i prefer just like fewer discs or i mean now we don't have to deal with it or vhs is just like a little less quality but just i don't want to get up like i wonder how many times they're switching out godfather part two or something on a laser disc it's just like all right we got 19 of these <laughs> yeah that doesn't seem practical at all it was bigger it took up more space it seemed like they were kind of reverting technology with laser discs no yeah i mean i would have to look into it a little <laughs> bit more but um yeah supposedly it's better quality but 
Who's <laughs> such millennials? Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't even heard of that until the episode. I just know from VHS to DVD. New story at the Soprano household. AJ's science teacher got his car stolen. Uh, funny moment. Tony asked what, or AJ, or Tony doesn't want to help, but then he asked what AJ's getting in science and he's D plus. And then he's like, all right, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Go to the bottom being Chris delivers the DVD players there. Uh, we get into another story of Georgie can't figure out the phone system, which is something that would probably only happen 20 years ago. Now, I feel like everyone would, would get a handle on that, especially someone at Georgie's age on how to work a phone at that point. Tony loads the DVD player into his car. I think this is when he asked Brendan about the Laserdisc comparison, but he's not nice to he's not nice to Brendan. He reveals to Chris he just doesn't like that this guy uses meth. You know, we get a sense that this guy is reckless, and then begins one of the one of the funniest and complex scenes maybe in the show where uh, Tony calls Livia. So it starts off. He calls his mom. Uh, he tells her, oh, I, I called the other day. And she's like, oh, I called back, but I got an operator. And he's like, mom, that's that's the answering machine. She gets up to check the mushrooms. But something really interesting happens. She, Her own prejudice and racism towards a mail carrier outside causes her to forget the mushrooms. She gets distracted. She wonders what the postperson's doing when they're just leaving a package. Uh, the fire starts. <laughs> madness ensues where she's uh she forgets who's on the phone she picks it up and she's like who's it is this tony uh instructs her to try to call 911 meanwhile georgie gets the call from surge that uh the person that tony's been waiting for is on the call so tony gets that person to gets georgie to hold that call um well this was awesome did you guys like this scene as much as i did i thought it was pretty good i was, was kind of thinking back just now when you were talking about it why uh, Tony's mom might have been I bet a, a delivery person like a mailman leaving a package was relatively rare like nowadays we see it like every day with Amazon coming by but interesting back, back then like that might have been actually suspicious like and <laughs> clearly she's a racist and it was a black uh, mail carrier so that right might obviously had a factor but I thought that was interesting when you were just talking about it and, and kind of comical how like the strippers are just stopping oh, yeah, stop their dance routine and they're just like Tony, is your mom okay? <laughs> that's that's the end of the yeah. That's the end of the joke. Really, is that they're just like concerned. <laughs> Carmela goes to Olivia's house, deals with the fire firefighters and everything. Uh, Carmela offers uh, Livia to come live with them too, which I think that's important too, and uh, shows her sympathy. And that comes back a little bit later in the episode. But a call to a call out to Nancy Marchand who plays Livia. I just think she's amazing. We go to Big Pussy at the shop uh, or his car shop. Um, he starts to uncover the story about where uh, where AJ's teacher's car could be or where they're going to start looking. Next scene, he and Polly, so Big Pussy and Polly go to the coffee shop. And then, Josh, this is the moment you mentioned earlier. Just Polly's just really pissed off at people. They're taking money off Italian food and coffee here. So in therapy, Tony tells Melfi that... Uh, Olivia, finally, his mother agreed to have help at the house. Interesting point here. Tony tells Melfi that Carmela won't allow his mother to live with him. So Tony says he would, but Carmela won't allow it. But we know from the previous scene that Carmela offers for Olivia to live with them too. And this is a really interesting thing that I, I have a hard time catching every time I'm watching The Sopranos. But David Chase talks about this, that 
when writing The Sopranos, he said when they were writing the characters, the characters were always lying. Every single thing he said that they said was a lie. And I'm trying to look at the the Sopranos with that scope and just thinking about Tony and all these situations and how much of it actually is that lie too. But he says, Carmela won't allow my mother to live with us, which we know is a lie. And then Melfi asks about a good memory he has with his mother. And then do you guys remember what that memory is? Yeah, they're... I forget where they are, but their dad trips and falls and the whole family's laughing. It's like, even my <laughs> mother. Like... And, then she goes, and that's the only thing. <laughs> yeah, she goes, any other fond memories or something? And he gets kind of pissed at her. Uh, which is just like, kind of like, we know he's twisted too, but like that that's the only memory that he can think of is just, uh, yeah, he, he kind of like his way of fighting that is just, you know, this is a good woman. She's put food on the table. As we know, Tony's conflicted about this too. He feels that he has to take care of her, but she is not giving him many reasons to do that. Do you think there he has a point to look past all that pain that she's inflicting on him right now and to continue to to try to care for her? Yeah, you kind of see like a uh, I, I, really quickly. I do have to say one of my fondest memories was playing baseball with my brother, my dad, and my brother just like line drives one into my dad's balls and my brother and I thought it was so <laughs> funny. Like it was just like, and my dad is just like writhing in pain, just trying to be a good dad. Oh my God. That's all right. Awesome. It's just like a pastime for any, uh, yeah. Any, so maybe Tony has a point. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, you kind of see this, like, like we all have like child childhood conditioning <laughs> and, uh, you see Tony's like, kind of ego and then like the super ego where he's like no i'm the piece of shit who's like coming here and complaining about my mom you know his like he's like no this is like unacceptable from from where i come from but yeah it's just like what was what is a child tony soprano's childhood like like it's it's kind of unimaginable i mean there are people out there that can't think of any fond memories from yeah from their childhood is you know it's not something that doesn't exist if I asked you a second fond memory of your dad, though, is it him getting shot in the balls again? Or <laughs> <have another? laughs> uh, yeah, the first soccer goal I scored, uh, I I like ran just across the field and just jumped and gave my dad a hug, like just jumped into his arms. It was probably like one of the the best childhood moments for him and myself wow. but uh yeah i don't know the the shot to the balls gotta be there's just <laughs> that's like, like in a disney movie just jumping up in his arms it, it really was it, first first goal i scored and yeah that yeah that was a great one but uh the the baseball one is a very close second <laughs> <laughs> i think it's just so deep rooted in the italian culture uh that you know you take care of the elderly and uh him being a a leader of the culture, you know, I think it's just so ingrained in him that even though it, it doesn't make any logical sense for him to want to feel that way, want to take care of her, want to bring her into his own home, which she makes him absolutely miserable. Um, so I think, it, yeah, it's just more cultural effect than anything. And, and one thing I thought was interesting when Tony said that, uh, you know, Oh, my, my wife won't let her live there was even though she did ask um, Tony's mom, why don't you come live with us? The mom goes, I know when I'm not welcome, but then she responds with, 
well, I just invited you into my home, but I'm not going to get on my knees and beg. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you kind of really aren't welcome, but I'm doing this because you're probably going to kill yourself here. So I don't know, maybe at the same time, it is the truth that his wife probably doesn't really want her there in the first place. I saw it as, I mean, when Carmela had that offer on the table too, I, I just saw it as, I mean, who wants to, this is, this woman is so insufferable who wants to live with her. So she's doing everything she can to do the right thing. And it's, it's not easy to, so she was conflicted, but who knows? Yeah. Livia would be really hard to live with. Oh, she seems like a pain. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh God, mom, you burnt the mushrooms again. Uh, Yeah. Good. uh, Just good reminder to, I Googled how to put out a grease fire. And fire extinguisher reference going back to that fire. I think Josh, you said last time when Silvio runs to put out the uh the grill when it blows up in the pilot with the fire extinguisher, and then Tony's like, It's a fire extinguisher under the sink, like I gave you. So I mean, maybe just guys in the mob always know where the fire extinguisher is in situations. <laughs> very, very, very safe uh operating standards we'll see if that's those are red drew so we'll see if that's a recurring recurring imagery later uh, have you have you guys ever used a fire extinguisher no uh, no have you yeah actually i started a grease fire one time and uh i was in college and my, my roommate wanted to or it was a year after college and so i was in an apartment complex where it's like the law you have to have a fire extinguisher Mm-hmm. And my buddy was going to uh, like got the hose that's next to the sink to spray it. And I was like, no, 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 don't do that. Cause for some reason I, I knew not to do that. And then wow, I, the so only I, college kid who knows that. <laughs> so I use the fire extinguisher, <laughs> but a, it gets everywhere and it smells so bad. What does it smell like? Um, if you could describe it, uh, what's it smell like? Not, it, it makes it hard to breathe. I think cause it's like, the whatever the chemicals chemicals are <laughs> yeah but it it's like uh it gives you shortness of breath and really like ammonia smelling i don't know it's just, uh, okay it's it very uncomfortable but i got the fire out wow that's that's it that must have been a real rush being able to put out a fire on your own uh last thing something interesting you said too is you think it josh you said you think it's tied into culture that maybe that's why tony is like really putting all these evils past him or Maybe not evil is too strong of a word, but all this pain that his mom's inflicted. I don't I mean, that. I think that goes beyond cultures too a little bit. And I think anyone would have a lot of trouble looking the other way in this situation. I don't know. He's He feels very conflicted about this, obviously. But he's upset about how this ends with Melfi because um, can't think of any of the good childhood memories. So next next scene, he brings flowers to his mom. Uh, He meets the cleaning lady for the first time and we see he is his mother's son too and how they treat this poor woman. (laughs) Like he goes right in, um, you know, makes a reference to no, no smoking ganja while she's working. She'll, she goes to fix Tony a drink. Uh, Olivia just like rags on her too and uh, makes a couple of racist comments. There's great when Tony, Tony tries to deliver the flowers, just her belittling him. She, Rather than warmly accept it, she just said, I'm not dead, unfortunately, for some. I just want to touch on quick the what we're going to see out of Tony is, yeah, intense racism, homophobia, misogyny, all of this, too. And I think a lot of antiheroes people create now in TV shows try to create a character that's 
really smart, intelligent, like very maybe progressive in their ideas, but then they have something else that's evil in them. But I mean, that's a cop out that really, they have all these good traits to end current anti-heroes. Um, and then, you know, the TV show might spin it as they're an evil person, but they're really not. I mean, Tony really was an evil guy as we, as we see this and it didn't, it didn't try to hold back on that too, which is I think why he's so effective as an anti-hero and, and anti-heroes that even tried to copy him after that weren't quite as effective as that. I think there's some criticism around like, oh, why does Tony have to be racist? Why does he have to be all these things? But I think it would have been a disservice to anyone who's experienced racism firsthand to make him like a progressive thinker. If this like mob boss or whatever came out and had like these these new views and like believed in gay marriage and all these things like that. It, it's a disservice to all the pain that people had before that, I think to achieve those things. Um, those are my thoughts. I was just thinking a lot about Tony as an anti-hero. I guess in, in breaking bad, you kind of see, uh, yeah, Walter White, like get diminished, but just, you know, diminished in character over time, but just right away you're, you're exposed to just kind of what an asshole uh, Tony is just like yeah. just a plain bad guy. So yeah, I, yeah. Do, I do appreciate it. Walter's this educated, like he always has, he always has a freaking idea. Like Tony has to really grip and grind to find the right idea. And Tony's very smart too, but he's not, you know, the traditional education route. Um, and we see that in everything he does, which I think makes him an amazing character. You were saying something, Josh? Uh, well, don't forget, Tony does have a quarter semester of college, so he's a little. Yeah, little he knows. Educated. He knows Freud. He, he knows Freud. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I also I also think uh, his character is representative of not only like the times, um, but also of the history of, you know, not singling out like Italian people and immigrants, but Catholic Catholics like very anti-gay, um, especially in, like the late '90s. You know, that was mm. before all the modern movements have come up. So I think it was, you know, watching it back from the through the lens that we're living now, it, I think it's more amplified where probably the initial viewers were like, eh, okay. Like <laughs> interesting. And it probably really think too much about it. Also shout out throughout this series. It seems like everyone's just drinking Cokes with dinner, every meal. They're like, hey, I'm going to have a Coke, which just like, it's a lot of soda. It's, it's very unhealthy. <laughs> I don't know. If, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just, I don't know the time. series. just like, yep. Coke with dinner, Coke every time I sit down. It's just like, dude. The next um, the next scene is the sit down with uh, Jackie April, Uncle Junior, and Tony Soprano. And I I really love this the mob sit downs. When you learn about the dynamics, characters say stuff they don't really mean. You get these these glances and things like that. So it was really our first um, our first interaction with that in the show. Uh, were you following how the dynamics worked here, Josh, with the family? Uh, towards the towards the end of the uh, scene, I was able to kind of gather what was going on. I, initially, I was like, "Who is this guy?" But then you kind of learn he's the. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what the term. What do they? What do they call him? Like, what's the term? Like, is it the boss? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's just the boss, and you know, kind of working out a negotiation between two two families. One wronged the other, or, or gangs, I guess, if you want to say. And it's like, okay, you owe him fifteen thousand dollars, and. So I was like, okay, I'll pay up. And, you know, not everybody was happy with it, but it, it seemed like a fair decision for what the crime was. Yeah, we, we get the history. So this, 
this back the pilot makes it seem like tony is the boss this backtracks on that a little bit to fill in that backstory so jackie april uh is the acting boss of the crime family here the real boss has been in jail for a life sentence he's like an older school gangster guy so uh, jackie april for all intents and purposes is the boss uh he's been in chemotherapy we learn uh so he's been in and out of chemo and supposedly tony has been helping him a lot. They're very close friends. He's been pretty much that boss as Jackie's been in, in chemo. But Tony and Junior are both capos. So they're both captains in this crime family. So they both have like the same rank and they both have their own their own crews and things like that that pay up to Jackie. It, it's interesting because we get some dynamics between Tony and uh, Tony and Junior too. Like you said, Josh, Jackie says Tony has to pay retribution to the trucks that Chris and, Chris and Brendan robbed. Those were what that trucking company has been paying junior for protection for the last 21 years he says so chris and brandon were not weren't supposed to rob those trucks um jackie makes a comment here too is maybe i should name a successor because he's been going in and out of chemo um he doesn't feel like he has much time left here tony makes a comment this day and age who wants the job which do you guys think he was serious about that kind of i, I thought he was serious it is like as he's as he's looking forward to uh, what's to come, or I don't know, just his difficulties with with the good times past. I, I I think he really means it. You don't think he wants to be the boss? You know, I think there's a yeah, he's probably conflicted, but I think I I don't think he does. I don't know. I think he I think he knows he would do a good job, but he's also like you don't want to put a hard sell on it, especially with Junior right there. So he's probably like, who wants the job? But I mean, I think he also knows he's probably thinking about his health and that there's a lot of work to be done and revamping and probably honestly have to kill a ton of people just to get like the whole <laughs> the whole family back in order. Yeah, it's 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 a little messy with Jackie in and out with chemo and things like that. Um, I don't know. I, I'm looking through this with the lens that maybe Tony is just lying. I think he probably wants it. But it's Jackie says, you know, maybe I should name a successor. Tony says, who wants the job? Cut to Junior. Like Junior doesn't say anything, but it's. I felt there was a lot of tension there too. this, this dynamic between Tony and junior. Um, maybe I'm, I'm looking into it too much, but finish the meeting. Uh, Tony's going to pay retribution to, to junior for the Rob truck. And then scene. I love Tony goes to meet uh, junior's soldier in the car. <laughs> uh, so we meet Mikey who yeah, is junior's protector and bodyguard. Uh, and they have a very non PC conversation that I think drew you, you brought it up early on it's it's probably jokes that wouldn't quite land and maybe a lot of other shows but i think it's just so loaded it's it's so clever with how loaded it is and then tony's tony zinger and says too bad they don't have a telethon for fuck face itis they found a cure yet <laughs> i just thought that was uh that was awesome and, and mikey just just kind of sits there and looks at him i think when characters are breaking each other's balls it's it's some of the the best writing ever in the sopranos boys boys will be men you know like just like high schoolers <laughs> high schoolers trying to one-up each other with you know uh on pc inappropriate jokes yeah slightly more clever but not by much it's just the fuck face itis i think i used that in eighth grade on a kid <laughs> <laughs> so Polly and big pussy continue their search for the car there at another coffee shop uh josh you mentioned this Polly steals i've grabbed something off the shelf because as if this would make up for the cultural appropriation. Carmela goes into the house. Uh, she sees Livia's cleaning lady leave. 
Um, Livia's racist here, but I don't know. Drew, you said last episode you weren't sure if Livia was senile or not when she was talking to Junior. Did you have a different impression of her this episode? From this scene, I think she knows exactly what she's doing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think in a later scene, which we'll, we'll get there, but I, I, I'm really confused whether she's senile or she knows <laughs> what she's doing. So it's not conclusive yet. And maybe she comes in and out of it. Uh, but yeah, in this scene, it knew, she knew exactly what she was doing, I think. Next scene, Christopher goes to Tony. He doesn't want to pay Junior. Uh, Brennan's there as well. Brennan makes an off offhand comment about Jackie, who's the boss, uh, who's going through chemo. And it, this is a bit silly. It was like a like a Three Stooges routine. Like Tony throws Brendan out of the door, the door, and like Brendan hits. Yeah, <laughs> he hits like the meat and just like flips over it. Uh, it was. It reminded me of Uncle Phil throwing uh, in Fresh Prince. <laughs> throwing. Uh, gosh, Will's friend out of the house. Just like every episode, just like all right, get out of here, Brendan. Jazz. Um, yeah, jazz. <laughs> uh but i thought that was it but um tony being the being the businessman that he is says you know why don't you give me all 15k i'll try to get junior down to 10 knowing that tony's going to take like 2k out of it or something um or whatever his commission is but he also tells uh tells chris you leave calmly trucking and every other item that belongs to my uncle junior including his hemorrhoid donut the fuck alone it's just a great line big pussy and Polly find the two guys who got the car they lead them to where the car is. It's been stripped. They find plates on another car and um, they come up with a plan of just going to going to boost another car off the streets here. When Tony's talking to his wife at their house, uh, he brings up something that's a very human trait, I think, especially when you do have a, a relative who appears to be aging or or losing some sort of sense of consciousness in some way. He He brings up he notices the little things. He's proud of her for driving her friends places, which it's a very subtle, you guys know what's coming, but it's a very subtle thing that is very human when she has all these things really wrong with her lifestyle, but he's just, he's finding one silver lining. Next scene, Livia is driving her friend home, which just the whole scene from her car pulling up on the curb and her muffler dragging Telling her friend as she gets out of the car, make plenty of noise before you open the door. You never know who's in there. <laughs> Backing up, I just like, the first time I was watching this, I got the feeling something's happening. We're staying on her. She's muttering about the street. The street is, the street, this pain in the ass or whatever she says. And then she just guns it into her friend, which is uh, so dark. Uh, it's, it's really not funny, but <laughs> it's just an amazing scene. Next scene, Melfi and Tony talk about his mom. Uh, Melfi suggests that Tony's mother may be depressed and that's maybe why she's acting out in these ways, which depression is so prevalent in all these characters, even though they're always trying to hide it, especially Tony's mother. And Tony's mind immediately goes to, you think my mom was trying to whack her best friend, which alarms Melfi and would alarm all of us. Like, why would your mind even go to this? Uh, but a really important conversation Melfi motivates Tony on how to talk to Livia. He's he says he should inspire her on this next chapter of his life. So Tony absorbs this, being the the savvy businessman that he is. Like he will hear everything that people say to him and and recreate that when he's trying to when trying to get his way in a situation. We see Brendan and Chris trying to get into a club. 
there's a Martin Scorsese sighting, which is another Goodfellas thing. Uh, so that's interesting. They're really excited about that. You know, the the world that Scorsese's painted with. Is that is that who is walking in the club that they're all excited about? Yeah, it's oh, not. Okay. Yeah, they use a different actor, but yeah, it was. They're like, oh, Martin Scorsese. I didn't hear. I didn't hear that part. I was like, does he say Kudu? I loved it. Yeah, it's it's Ooh. one of his movies in the in the nineties. I never this, saw it. Oh, okay, I was gonna ask if you'd seen it. No. Um, have you seen Goodfellas yet, Drew? Mm, nope. Getting, <laughs> getting closer by the weekend. <laughs> well, you're not gonna have time. Well, I guess instead of binging The Sopranos, since you can only watch an episode a week. You have some time for Goodfellas. Yeah, I'll send it. I'll send it to you on Laserdisc. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, just nine nine installments. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. I'll then mow you for shipping. <laughs> first, first sighting of Adriana as Christopher's girlfriend. So the actress who played this was actually the hostess in the restaurant and the pilot, playing a different role. Um, but Adriana is going to be Chris's girlfriend. Brendan and Chris, you know, they're talking about the year 2000, the millennium. Where do we go from here? The madness of the mob. Just like these recurring themes we hear throughout, which really sets them in a time for place talking about the year 2000. Great scene with with Tony and his mom. Tony, it starts off as a very positive interaction. Uh, Tony's mimicking what Melfi told him. He's just saying, you know, this is the best chapter of your life. However, this conversation changes when... Livia reveals to him that she gave the good jewelry to one of the other cousins and he he freaks out at this, you know, all he gets is a vibrating chair. And she she thinks the Green Grove, the retirement community is a death sentence. And he has this great line. He says, more like a hotel at Captain Teebs. And she said, who's the who's he? A captain who owns luxury hotels or something. That's not the point. And I had to I had to look this up. But earlier, Melfi had told uh, told Tony that, you know, Green Grove, the retirement community, is more like a hotel on Captain Dantibes, which is a resort town, or Cap Dantibes, <laughs> which is a resort town in France. And then he hears it as Captain Tebes and just repeats it as that, too, being, you know, very sharp, but sometimes a little off, too, which I thought that was just, this freaking awesome. Captain who owns luxury hotels or something. That's not the point. And then it escalates it. Uh, Livia is just great telling him to stab her in the heart because that would be less painful than the pain he's inflicting on her. It's just a really powerful scene. Yeah, you kind of see just how toxic their relationship is. You know, I mean, he's, I don't know. There's there's like no, just no pleasing Olivia. You see how, how depressed she she really is. Stab me right here. Yeah. <laughs> pointing at her chest it's like... Oh, this is so heavy. <laughs> Which of the three of us do you think is most likely to become Livia when we're older? I could see, you know, most likely, not not necessarily. <laughs> you know, I, I I'm like set in my schedules and things like that. I could see myself becoming a little irritable. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try not to, but you know, you never know. I'm trying to think if I've ever uh, been in I, on my in my driving test in 16. Uh, you have to back up on the curb. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, along the curb and then you have to pull back out into the street. And I left the car in reverse and just like I- busted down. The- <laughs> so, maybe that's Wait, this, this was your driving test. Yeah. When I was 16, you, you like, you have to pull up on a, on a sidewalk and then you have to like back along it straight. 
And she's mm-hmm. like, all right, you're good now. Uh, we can get back on the street. And I just like floored it in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> what did you hit? Did you hit anything? No, thank God I didn't hit anything. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Did you? So did maybe. You, yeah. No, I, I didn't hit like an old lady or anything. I'm not, I'm not that closely tied to Olivia. Did that cause? Did that cause you to fail? No, I actually I was still able to. She she passed me. (laughs) What? What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, you guys are doing some crazy stuff up there, up in Lotus. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Brennan comes over to Chris's to uh, for their latest job, but they're going to rob another truck because they're frustrated with Tony and Junior. Chris is going to pass. He has actually. you know, he, he makes the right decision here. Uh, we go into Grinnan's job, which it's a bit like when they robbed the truck there. It's it's a bit comical, I think. Brendan's associate, Special K, who's actually played by J.D. Williams, who is Bodie in The Wire, Drew. Yeah, I think uh, I, had, yeah, I didn't notice that. So he's, he's an awesome character actor. But his gun falls out. It shoots uh, the driver in the head. And then Brendan really leans into the audience here he said junior soprano is going to like go crazy or whatever he says where it's like you know if we're paying attention at this point we know that's going to happen you don't have to say it i was gonna say i like seeing his like emotional you know he's like almost crying or i think he knows yeah he knows right away and that's pretty powerful right he he freaks out yeah i i could have used without the dialogue i could have just seen him freaking out i thought i think that would have been amazing next scene they're checking livia into the retirement community uh she's not making any expression on her face this whole time <laughs> it's just like i'm like is she into it no she's just like like ticked off with them um the person at the retirement community quotes italian i looked this up so the proverb she says is time and patience change the mulberry leaf to silk uh actually this is a chinese proverb which is interesting and i wonder if it's some cultural appropriation thing coming full circle or maybe just the reflection in the United States, like at some point, people aren't really going to know where things come from. But I mean, what did you guys think of the, this Italian woman quoting the Chinese proverb, but thinks it's Italian? I didn't know it at the time. I just thought it was kind of funny. She's kind of throwing everything at Tony's mom being like, hey, you're welcome here. Look, I'm Italian. I speak Italian. Like, this is going to be a great place. And everyone's like, lady, you're trying way too hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Livia still makes no expression. Uh, that's great. Uh, also a sense of the times junior calls the retirement community the time where you had to ask where someone was find that number of that place call that place and look for that person he calls the retirement community looking for tony um presumably in reaction to the the botched uh, robbery here chris calls tony when tony's at home uh tells him to call from an outside line tony goes to an outside line and chris reveals that brendan stole another comedy truck it went bad a scene where Tony, Silvio, Polly meet Brendan and Chris with the suits. Uh, even though Brendan and Chris are in the wrong, you know, of course, Tony and his crew decide to to keep some. And then Silvio quotes the Godfather with the suit, which I actually liked this one. If this was the only one in the whole show, I, I would have been able to get behind that. But he does his, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in <laughs> from, from Godfather 3 uh, with, with the suit. That's awesome. The teacher gets the car back, which is a great scene. It's, I think, first of all, they're like, oh, the interior is gone. He looks for his papers in the trunk. It's a different color inside. He gets the paint on his hands. And AJ, uh, Anthony Jr. just says his dad's a hero. 
where he's like, oh, my uncle pussy helped my dad locate it. And the, the teacher, teacher goes, like, your uncle pussy. <laughs> <laughs> the next scene I, I, I really enjoy, it's Tony loading up some of the belongings at the house of his mom. He sees some pictures of himself as a boy and has this emotional reaction to we, maybe we get a sense of why he does want to feel protective after all the pain she's inflicting on him. Like he has some sort of nostalgia for that, but he fights back a panic at attack and has to sit down. Next scene, Melfi uh, talks to Tony about his mother. Um, I really like this, this therapy session, but it does come to a point where Melfi is trying to get Tony to realize that he might feel this hate, hatred or anger toward his mom. And, and he just, he won't accept that. He, he storms out of there. Well, I thought she was completely right. Um, but he just wasn't, I think he still trained her as new, like, Hey, I've only seen you two or three times. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. The mom is the matriarch of the Italian family. We're a strong family. Therefore she's a strong mom. And, you know, I think he just uh, couldn't come to grips with it. The, the next scene, everything culminates. I, I felt like I knew exactly what was going to happen once it start, starts. Georgie at the bottom being messes up on the phone. And you can see Tony's anger, his frustration over everything just boil up. And uh, he takes all his anger out on poor Georgie here. Um, and we end episode two. Any other thoughts on, on the summary or anything? Well, I thought one of the important scenes uh, that I took away was when um, Tony's nephew decided not to go rob uh, Uncle Junior. And then he's all proud of it, talking to Tony, saying like, hey, boss, like, you know, I didn't go. I did the right thing. And then Tony's like, you still don't get it. Did you stop yeah. him? Did you try to, like, leadership isn't just not doing anything. Leadership yeah. is knowing the right thing to do and then doing whatever it takes to get it done. It's like, okay, you made the right decision, but then you didn't do the next step, which is to stop this from happening. So I thought that was a curious evolution of, uh, you know, his his learning process and what it comes what it takes to become part of the family in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's still hope for Chris. What's up, Drew? I was going to say, I think you're kind of getting this idea of like uh, Tony's like moral compass or, you know, it's like the world that he's living in, you know, he's like, he can't bear the thought that he like might have hateful, resentful feelings for his mom. Mean, you know, that's like unacceptable to him. And, and meanwhile, he's he, he, he driving into people, you know, giving people compound fractures, like yeah. killing people, taking a a telephone and just beating his, you know, secretary, <laughs> said, you know, but, but the thought of, you know, having like a, a negative, negative thought or coming to a therapist to bitch about his mom. I mean, there's just no perfect parents out there. And, and obviously Olivia's, has really wounded Tony and he just, he is not willing to like bring that to the surface at all. Yeah. I think that's great. Okay. The intermezzo question this week, what do you guys think is the best TV intro of all time? Drew, what do you think? And we're talking about like intro to, uh, intro to not pilot intro to a TV series. I'm talking about the actual music that plays over the intro. Yeah. I d okay. So I definitely like the. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the clarification. <laughs> you know, I think my favorite one is The Simpsons. I just 
remember loving it so much. The fact that it would change uh, at the end. Every episode, Bart's writing something different. It's just so classic and so good. Um, I did. I do really like the intro of The Wire, too. And every year, they would change the way mm-hmm. that it was uh, who sung who sung the song. But I, I think The Simpsons kind of takes the cake. I love season four of The Wire. That was my favorite of those intros. Josh, what about you? I really like Game of Thrones. Um, that one's, <laughs> I thought it was classic, and I thought it was really cool how... You know, the background kind of kept changing as the story kept changing. So I thought that was that was cool. And then uh, just a classic one. I grew up watching like a lot of Law and Order, uh, <laughs> like not SVU, but just like the original one. It's like, yeah. boom, boom. and uh, I always thought that was kind of cool. So like, I couldn't cool even tell you what the intro sounds like. I've never seen an episode of Law and Order. Really? It's just this long speech. It's like in the criminal justice system, there are two parties, the police who investigate the, investigate the crimes and the district attorney who prosecutes. Oh, These are the stories. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? Oh, Game of Thrones. I remember that. I think, Drew, we were in college when like, we all got really into Game of Thrones. And as soon as that music started, I was just, I was just fired up. Oh, my yeah, God. Game of Thrones is really good. Good one. I was going to say, I, I thought it was the perfect length too. It didn't go on too long and it just kind of got you amped up, like gave you enough time to get get to the couch and and just be like, okay, here we go. I don't know. It was, just, it was exciting. Do you guys know the meme that is a picture of Boromir from Lord of the Rings with his like fingers out or like his hand out and he says, one does not simply like walk into Middle Earth. Do you guys know that meme where it's like, one does not simply do X, Y, Z? Yeah. Uh, this is like a long story to tell you what i'm trying to mean but uh i saw one online it was just like one does not simply skip the game of thrones theme (laughs) it was like yeah you're not skipping that as soon as it comes on you're watching that full minute and 30 seconds or whatever it is (laughs) and i i feel that way about tv shows like a good theme is like nope we're watching the theme which is how i feel about the sopranos now my favorite is uh true detective season one intro do you know it off the top of your head, Josh? Because you watch that show a lot, right? Yeah, I I remember it pretty vividly. I, I haven't watched it in like probably two years is the last time I watched it. But yeah, I remember really liking it. And does it change with each episode? No, so it stays the same for the full season. Okay. Uh, and then obviously changes. The, I, I stopped. I've only seen season one. I heard season two was bad and haven't got around to season three yet. Season um, three is okay. The ending's a bit... Uh, bit of a letdown i'm not gonna watch it then it's i have to (laughs) watch the whole thing and just get let down at the end (laughs) sorry uh but that one before i even like saw the first episode i thought it just set the time and place perfectly i the music and the images everything about it was i i think it's great intro i love wire season four sopranos is one of my favorites too but i'm gonna give the cake to true detective all right, shifting to our finish up on our Coppola criteria. So this is the Francis Ford Coppola. We already did the core earlier. Do you guys have any variations on the core that you guys said earlier? Let me read them off real quick. So I think Josh, you said this one. Mob family comes to terms with 21st century. It's about transition is what you said. Drew, you said reluctant mom moves into old folks home. And I said dealing with an aging relative 101. Are we pretty happy with those? Anything we want to change? I guess retirement community, just to make Olivia happier. <laughs> but besides that, I think we're pretty good. It's a retirement community. <laughs> <laughs> I 
or whatever Tony calls it. <laughs> that's that's an that is such a great ongoing joke. Josh, you good with yours? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys also nailed it as well. Like, I wouldn't add anything onto what we initially said. All right. So I want to get into a couple pitfalls. Um, again, these are when Francis Ford Coppola was writing The Godfather. He wrote these before each scene. You know, those pitfalls he didn't want to fall into in the scene, whether it was a cliche or he didn't want to or was afraid he wouldn't establish a relationship correctly. Obviously, this has already been filmed, so these pitfalls are already in there. But first one, Silvio g- quoting The Godfather three times in this show was two times too many for me. Um, are you guys behind that? You know, I kind of liked it. I didn't like the first one, but I kind of liked when he said it. And then it went into the intro. I was like, oh, this is uh, good to be watching The Sopranos again. I, I, I enjoyed <laughs> it. And then I did enjoy the one afterwards where he's trying trying on the suit. But yeah, I guess three is a bit too many. The suit was good. Yeah, if he just did the one right before the intro, because it didn't like, like the first one, Tony's like, put me in a good mood and then high fives him after it, which I was just. I was like, come on. Yeah. You guys are in the mob here. Yeah, when it goes into the intro, I got pretty excited about that. Tony throwing Brendan out of the pork store doors like the Three Stooges. Uh, I could have done without that. Like shove him to the ground or something. He yeah, had to, like, like, all right, open, open the door, open the door. And then, yeah. you know, Brendan's uh, got to just stand there while Tony, what's he going to grab? Like, you know, he'd have to, he grabs like the top of his jacket but like i don't see how you're throwing that person without like grabbing their belt buckle as well or so i don't know it's just and then like afterwards too he's got like the ice pack on his head and <laughs> like this is just so 90s bad yeah it's 90s <laughs> TV. yeah i was gonna say it got me thinking of the physics of it as well as like with like the backwards momentum like could he really throw him that far i don't know it got me thinking like <laughs> Way too much outside of the episode. When they hit people in the face with like the phone or the the butt of the gun, it just like really makes me grimace. But that one, I was like, was that supposed to be hardcore? Yeah, for sure. So that was, the, I mean, he should have just like shoved them or told them to get the fuck out. And that would have been meaningful enough. Um, the botch, Brendan's botched truck robbery felt a little 90s. I can't quite put my finger on it, but it, I mean, it comes to the end when Brennan's just like, oh, Uncle Junior's going to kill me, which I can get behind. He's like freaks out and we all see it, too. But the fact that he actually says it, I think they I think that line should have just been pulled. I agree. I think we would have gotten it from. Yeah. Just like you said, how have we been paying attention and just his acting alone? I thought it was pretty fine with him, like freaking out, like with his all tweaking out right after. So you knew he was screwed no matter what. And he doesn't, he's not probably an easy character to act out because he's written pretty just like this stupid dude who just like cannot make a good decision. And so it's, it's not, can't be easy to act out. Um, so he, he does do a good job with that. I think, I think that's all I got. You guys have anything else? I had one It was pretty minor. It was when a uh, big pussy was in the coffee shop and he goes, Hey, I'm looking for this guy. He dropped his money clip and he pulls out his money clip that it probably has like I don't know, $10,000. And it's like, you really think a coffee shop guy is going to have that much money in his money clip? Um, and, and it doesn't even phase the lady. She's like, ah, well, we don't have anybody who works there. It looks like that. It it should have phased her. I, I kind of, I thought that was the point though. He was trying to be like, I have a lot of money, but. 
<laughs> but the, yeah, she didn't have a reaction. I thought, I thought, I thought the clip was fine though. I was okay with it. Um, anything else? No, I think, I think we might be splitting hairs at this point, whether we want two or three Godfather three references. <laughs> That's what we're here for. We yeah, exactly. That's exactly why we're we're putting in three hours a week to that's <laughs> <laughs> that's use of our time too all right so a couple awards too so like the golden globes we're going to do a comedy take and a drama take they might be subjective some scenes the best scenes have both comedy and drama in them um but best comedy moments here are the nominees i have so we'll We'll have winners each week for that episode. And then at the end of the season, we'll find those what those funniest moments are. But for comedy moments, I had when Paulie's joke at the beginning to Christopher, you know, like the funniest part is when he turns to Silvio, I think. Sil, you hear what I told him? Told him I went for a blowjob, uh, et cetera. So first nominee. Second one, the whole sequence with the fire in the phone when Tony first calls his mom. From their dialogue back and forth, her not knowing that what an answering machine was, uh, to her looking out at the post worker, catching a fire, getting the phone back, the strippers at the end, uh, just an awesome scene. Uh, third nomination, Tony ripping into my, Mikey. Too bad they don't have a telethon for fuckface-itis. Fourth, uh, Livia hits her friend with a car. <laughs> Four, she says, make sure you make a lot of noise when you go into the house. You never know who's in there. And then drives the car into her. Next nomination has comedy and drama. Uh, it's when he's Tony's communicating to his mom how exciting this next chapter of her life is. But you know, it's like a hotel at Captain Teeb's instead of a hotel at Cap Danteeb, the the French resort town. So that confusion's great. And then the end when the teacher gets the car back. That whole sequence. So those are the nominees. What do you guys think is the winner this week? But I think out of the ones you mentioned, I like the the ending scene with the car and the teacher. He's like you have an uncle pussy. He's like, my dad's a hero. And it's like, his car's not the same color. Like <laughs> everything's wrong, wrong. He wants his papers to still be in the back. It's like, dude, your papers are not going to be in the back. <laughs> what about you, Drew? I liked uh, when Olivia runs over a friend. <laughs> I think I'm going to go, oh man, that's a good one. I really like the, uh, the middle school back and forth between Tony and Mikey, but I'm going to go with just the full sequence with, uh, the fire and the telephone and all of that. And I, I think I'm biased towards any scene with Livia in it, but I think she's, she's awesome. So best drama moments. Here are the nominees. Uh, the sit down with Jackie April Jr. And Tony, I love the sit downs and learning about the inner workings of the organization. And um, I do think people are always trying to play each other and, and lie to each other in these second nominee, the therapy session with Melfi when she gives tony the ideas to talk to his mom so this is when he she's really communicating that this is an inspirational time for livia and tony goes to really replicate exactly what what melfi tells him um this is also the time when livia suggests his mom might be depressed and tony immediately jumps to the fact that oh you think my mom was trying to whack her best friend which is just a, a pretty shocking reaction Third nominee, uh, this is a scene that has comedy and drama. So it's the same scene where Tony's trying to convince Olivia to go to Green Grove Retirement Community. Um, but it gets really serious at the end, which it does. It is comedic still, but when she's just, I mean, Drew, you quoted it best too, but she's just like, stab me here, here. It, it would hurt me less than the what you're telling me now or what she says. Um, 
So, I mean, that's it's just amazing interaction between them. And then I love the end when Tony has almost has a panic attack when he's looking at the pictures of the old pictures of him, him and his mom too. I thought that was a pretty touching moment for Tony. Drew, what is the best drama of the episode? You know, I think I, I got to say when he has, when he like fights off the panic attack mm-hmm. in the end scene. Um, I mean, it's just, yeah, just his, his relationship with his mom is really complicated and you do see his, his his love and his like hatred for for his mom love it how about you josh yeah i I was kind of like leaning towards that one initially um but just for the spirit of discussion um (laughs) it's tough because that was really all i was thinking about um (laughs) (laughs) such a team player (laughs) do you need me to repeat them again no i i actually think (laughs) one of the one of the better drama scenes is uh uh, Tony's wife and Tony's mom when they oh. are talk, talk about after the fire and how she really is like, you can come live with us. I know I mentioned this earlier, but mm-hmm. I think that whole scene kind of, kind of brings a lot of into focus what Tony's speaking to his therapist about how his wife won't really let him live there. His mom isn't capable of staying there because you see the fire people just leaving. So I thought that was a pretty good dramatic scene. That was good. Drew, what do you think? Does Tony not want his mom to live there or does Carmela not want his mom or both? I mean, I think both. I think, you know, I mean, I've definitely been in a situation where you're like, all right, I'm going to offer this to do the right thing. You know, it's kind of like you're all right. Our mom's in a bad place. We should let her, you know, live with us or invite this friend to do this with us. But you really don't (laughs) want them, that person to, to join so yeah i don't, I don't inviting think. a friend who, to a middle who, who wants to live with olivia i mean is there a person do, do, does, <laughs> does anybody are you, are you calling her olivia with an o yeah sorry no. it's just livia it's just livia okay. <laughs> um, um, sorry what are you but, saying yeah but it, i mean it's like does anybody at the retirement community want her presence there you know like it unless her demeanors changes yeah, no one wants to live with her. That's for sure. Um, I think Carmela would if she had to, if that was the only option out. I think Carmela's closer to doing it than Tony. But yeah, I mean, no one wants to live with her. <laughs> no, she's a miserable old woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, just such a such a good actress. I just a plus. Everyone, everyone's killing the show so far, in my opinion. Oh, I didn't name one yet. Um, I'm I'm torn. I love the sit down between Jackie Jr. and Tony, but I think I'm going to go with the panic attack with the pictures too. So I think we we all really enjoyed that one. That that was a touching scene for sure. All right, so that's the best drama of the week. Only two two decisions Tony has that I want to grade. Um, I think we really need to. I think we were pretty critical on Tony, all three of us, last week without much to back it up. Like if we give him a bad grade, we have to come up with an option of something better. Uh, I think Drew, I was listening to the last one. I forget which one it was, but you're just like, C. you get to C for that. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, damn, let's do that the second time. It sounds like just like a teacher doesn't like that guy. Just give him all B's and enjoy your summer break. What's the average? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, two decisions I wrote down is Tony gets Big Pussy and Polly to go look after the car, which we can see Big Pussy's a little bit irritated with the task. 
Um, I think he mentions that at the beginning. So he's a little irked by that. But what else is he going to do? I don't know. Um, Drew, what would you grade that? C. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's just like such a menial task. And I think he's kind of doing it. It's like Tony's way of showing support for Carmella, you know, like, and his way of being a good dad. So uh, I guess I'd, but it just seems like so trivial, you know, and then, and then seeing Polly's, you know, his actions being trivial. And uh, so I guess I'd give it, I'll go for a B minus. I think, I think Tony's trying to show love to his family and uh, as long as he's okay, you know, using his, his, his task force to locate this car then then i guess i'll be okay with it too what would have made it an a i can't yeah i don't know uh i don't know it's just i think not a not the easiest situation it's like what do you you're gonna spend your your time and energy or your your mob's time and energy getting this car and uh i mean even just even just the recovery is kind of like a b minus i guess maybe (laughs) letting the paint dry (laughs) <laughs> that, would, that would increase it to a b plus yeah uh, just like wait a day maybe instead yeah. of just giving it back that day yeah um, i think there's a lot of i'm gonna have a hard time maybe that's why i say c i'm gonna have a hard time because just the the situation there's no like a a plus uh a plus grade for tony i well josh what do you think first I kind of agree. I, I would probably give it a B minus. I don't mind the fact that he tasked a uh, little pussy or big pussy and uh, for them to go look for it. But then once they realized the car was all is already uh, chopped up, then then you got to go to plan B, which, you know, there's so many options. It's like just wait till he gets the insurance money and then like, oh, here's a here's 10 grand to make you whole or like, I don't know, put in the form of a scholarship. But like realistically, the guy's like, any normal human beings can be like, wait, this is once they get in the car, they'll be like, this isn't my car. Like this isn't the same color seats or this isn't the same paint job. You know, then that brings up way more questions, which down the road, mm-hmm. who knows what that leads to. But I mean, they probably already know your kids like a mob boss or a mob boss totally. kid. So I don't know. I, I think in the, it doesn't really do much, you know, for, uh, for Tony's son's grades at the end of the day, I think there would have been an easier way to handle it with just money. But I know it was entertaining to watch the whole, quite follow follow through um but you know I don't, I, I don't know if it was the best decision i think it was okay for tony to have them go find the car i think the bad decision on painting it and stuff came on Polly and big pussy that was kind of dumb um but they probably just wanted to make tony happy like yep teacher got his car back case closed they don't have to deal with it i think a better option would have been to have chris and what a lower level soldier go after it obviously Big Pussy and Polly. I mean, they're I'm they've been around a lot longer. They're going to think that's below them. So I think they were irked by that. So for that reason, I give it a B. Um, the A would have would have gotten it, or what would have gotten it an A was if if he used probably a different soldier or something on it. And then this one, this one's uh, not quite to its completion yet, but it's how Tony handles Chris and Brendan in the situation too. First, he. He makes them pay Junior the fifteen thousand. He takes ten thousand on his own. Um, then he's going to make them go bring the suits back while keeping some suits there. What do you think about this, Josh? I actually like it. Um, I mean, I'd probably give it a an A. Uh, I think he's showing Tony showing respect to Junior by 
you know, not just giving a phone call and be like, Hey, I have the suits. It's making them uh, go and kind of atone for their mistakes. And I think it also is going to help them reinforce a lesson, you know, to, to the two, because they're probably fearing for their life right now. Um, one of them is probably going to die. Um, and uh, I think that's just the best way to learn where he could have just easily made another deal with junior. That would have probably made Tony's life more miserable because uh, junior would have probably been, Oh, you're not handling your crew. Well, so I think it was really the only decision he had on the table was to have the two go and uh, you know, atone for their own sins personally. So I, yeah, I'd probably give it an A. And also give it an A. I thought uh, it was the best option. Um, and then, you know, it's like, I guess by leading by example, not having the higher members of his crew take suits, but that's just like part of Tony Soprano is a little bit of hypocrisy or within his actions. Yeah. I give it an A too. I think we're like, like you said, Josh, he, he knows, I think the fights he needs to make and the fights he doesn't. And this is one, like he does not want to piss junior off. Um, he doesn't want to go against Jackie, his friend, who's the boss right now. Um, so I, I give it an A right now. That's it for the Tony decisions. Um, Josh, you haven't seen The Sopranos. What predictions do you have going forward? Do you have any that you want to make? Um, yeah, let's see. I think obviously there's going to be greater and greater conflict between Junior and Tony. I think I don't know if Junior wants to be the head, but I definitely know that he doesn't want Tony to be the head. And so I, we haven't been introduced to a, a third option of who could succeed, you know, the mob boss at this time. So I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic. Um, I think that I'm so bad at names. I should have written them down. I think the meth head's going to die. It's definitely going to have to get killed. Brendan. Yeah. But I think Brendan is either going to get killed or kicked out. Something's going to happen. He's dead at some point. I'll call that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how soon. Um, and then I think uh, Junior is probably going to cause more problems for Tony uh, through his mom. Okay. Those are the predictions, and we're going to see how those unfold. Drew, you've seen it. Do you remember, Drew, what, what happens from here? No, I mean, I only remember big things from different seasons, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'll keep cool. my mouth shut. Well, this is going to be awesome uncovering this with you guys, too. It really – I thought that – you know, you said this earlier, Josh, this episode does have more breathing room with the stories. It gets that pace down, but still it's not in its full stride yet. And I'm, you know, really excited for what this, what this ramps up to be. Um, it's kind of a good in-between episode here, but what we saw is I think what the themes we pulled away was really about aging relatives, um, transition period in the mob, in the new millennium, uh, new bosses and things like that, if it's going to have the same structure and stability as it had before. Well, I think it's also interesting that, you know, the target audience for the show had to have been people around Tony Soprano's age, right? Like this isn't a young person show. And so it's, it's really just speaking to kind of the baby boomer generation at that time, you know, 20 years ago, he's got two kids, one's in high school and dealing with aging parents and uh you know a younger workforce if you're like middle management i don't know it's just kind of a good example of society as a whole obviously shown through <laughs> an, an an evil uh, scope or yeah. evil eyes so i don't know I, th- I was kind of thinking about that too it's amazing how many how similar we all are you know people of that age are to tony despite them not being mob bosses and things like that that's a really great point 
Anything else to add before we wrap it up here? I'm just excited to watch the next one and uh, get back to doing this. This I really enjoy these uh, these little discussions we're having. We're running uh, 20 minutes sooner than we were last. So this ran 20 minutes shorter than last time. Uh, we still have some fat to cut off, I'm sure. But I have a blast with these. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please tell your friends about it. That's going to help others find us and keep us running here. We, you can find old podcasts as well as original scripts I've written at jaredbackins.com and follow us on Twitter at Josh Hasn't Seen The Sopranos. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts, you can reach out to us on the website or Twitter. Drew, where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Rivers to See Stickers. And uh, my website is uh, Rivers to See Stickers.com. And Drew also did the album art for the Sopranos podcast. So awesome album art. Josh, you still laying low? You don't know about the ending, right? I don't know about the ending, and I'm also not trying to be found, so don't find me. <laughs> would you tell us if you accidentally stumbled across the ending, or would you just try to keep that hidden? No, I'd tell you guys. Yeah, I would hope so at this point. Um, also, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pumped to watch episode three with you guys. Josh, hopefully Sarah stays off her, her phone for the most part, but I, <laughs> I don't blame her. We'll see you guys next time. See ya. Bye.